Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're far too kind for tuning in once again to a little thing we like to call the On Blast Podcast. As always, my name is Sheldon Alexander, and I'm joined by my guy, Andrew Webster. Webby, what is good? Well, not much, man. I'm a little melancholy as now. I mean, we had Tiger King. Tiger King ended. We had The Last Dance. The Last Dance is over. So, like, where? what's the next big documentary thing here that we're going to get into? Right? What is the next pop what's culture phenomenon? So crazy. But you know what I can guarantee, Webby? Whatever it is, we will be here to talk about it. That's as right. we have <laughs> been during this self-isolation period thanks to everyone who's been rocking with us whether you you've been liking and subscribing on youtube on itunes soundcloud spotify all those places thank you guys for liking and subscribing and telling your friends as we continue on with just you know recommending shows talking about what we're watching and of course for the last five weeks it's been this jordan doc and I can't believe that it's over already (laughs) because in the beginning it seemed like, oh man, five weeks. You're thinking, will we be back at work? Will there be sports? All these things. I remember thinking (laughs) at the very beginning and five weeks later, we're we're in the exact same place. (laughs) We're in the same spot. Now, I will tell you that I am a little melancholy, but I feel that we really got some really good life lessons in that, uh, in that ninth installment of uh the the last dance from from your favorite i know reggie miller yes the wise words of reggie miller he learned never talk trash to black jesus (laughs) (laughs) gotta put that on a t-shirt right 100 (laughs) percent, absolutely that's got to be the next like you know how like the jordan brand comes comes out with like the new t-shirts and and that stuff like yeah you're right there's gonna have to be a whole like quote uh line (laughs) Of For Jordan sure. Brand shirts coming out after this uh, after this documentary. Uh, it was so good. And first uh, first and foremost, a huge shout out to the crew that put this whole thing together. Anyone that had a part in it. Because I'm not sure if the average person understands how difficult it is. Forget about putting together a 10-hour documentary. Like that on its own is difficult enough. But having to do that during a pandemic where like... Yeah people are editing in different locations and you got to be sending files to people online. You got to be having zoom meetings to communicate about different edits and seeing different, uh, different versions of the final episodes. Like that is insane. And I know it might be a little, you know, too behind the scenes for some people, but you know, I can't fathom that. Like, I like to think I learn or know a bit about the industry and production. I can't even fathom how they were able to accomplish that and do that to the level that they were able to complete it at. Yeah. The director's name is, is it Jason? Jason Ayer. Uh, Jason Ayer. Can you imagine the look on his face when he got the call from ESPN that said, <laughs> Hey, I know you've only got seven of these completed, but we're going to push up your release date. And he's like, Oh, that's cool. When it's like, Oh no. in like a month. And it's just like, Oh, we've got to finish these last three episodes. Insane. Oh my God. It's unbelievable. And while I think that, and I'm sure we're going to get into this. I think that the doc kind of suffered. Like these weren't my favorite two episodes, okay. uh, obviously because I did feel that it felt a little rushed, especially in how to wrap it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, like, I mean, that's a really minor criticism that I have because it was still amazing. 
Yeah, for sure. At the very end, we will round out, you know, just kind of our overall thoughts of the pod or of the pod of the full documentary. <laughs> but, you know, as of now, I think kind of the biggest thing to come out of that final two episodes was the fact that Mike wasn't ready to retire after winning that third chip. The second three-peat, I think we all kind of thought, oh, well, because of the strike-shortened season, and Mike was probably like, I'm not coming back for this made-up season. Like, I feel like that was kind of more so the narrative. But to hear well, him say, no, 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 I wanted to come back for and try for seven, I was kind of taken aback by that. Like, What did you take from, take away from that? I really think that it spoke to Jordan's competitiveness and that drive that we always hear about and that this documentary really showed us and everybody who watched it. Like, yeah, of course he was going to go for seven. Of course it didn't matter that Jerry Reinsdorf and uh, and uh, Jerry Krause said that oh we're not going to we're not going to bring Phil back. We're going to retool. Even in the midst of this actually happening and a strike shortened or a lockout shortened season, it didn't matter to Jordan. He wanted to come back. He wanted to win the seventh. In fact, he would probably have used that as a motivating factor going for that seventh championship. But I just don't think that if Jordan was being real with himself and being realistic of what the situation was, that uh, that he would have. I mean, it, it was it wasn't necessarily time for him to hang it up, but it was time for that Bulls team to come to the end of the road. Yeah, I mean, it was super interesting to see his reaction. I guess one last meme from the newfound meme god as uh, Jordan right. takes a look at the iPad and he gets to see Reinsdorf's explanation. And I found it kind of weird that he never actually gotten an explanation from Reinsdorf as to why he didn't bring the whole team back. But what did you make of Reinsdorf's explanation, though? Well, I'm sure that Jordan didn't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. didn't, didn't matter to him. Yeah. You yeah, know, your excuses why it doesn't really matter. It just seemed weird, right? Because it, it, it seems like Mike, as he talked his way through, he's like, he would have signed a one-year deal. He's probably sure he could have gotten Phil, too. And once he got him and Phil, they prob he felt confident, anyways, that he could talk Scotty into taking a one-year deal. And especially for the strike short year, it's, it's interesting. And it plays like it, it leads to a really interesting theory into what would have happened in that shortened season because we know obviously Mike's goal at that point is championship or bust so giving him just 50 regular season games to get through as opposed to the full 82 game schedule that might be a benefit for MJ no right. no 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 I, I absolutely I think that you know had they run it back they would have had a really good shot, especially, like you say, because the, they're down to 50 games rather than 82. Now, in that 50 games, you're playing a lot more back-to-backs. You're condensing True. a lot of that season into a shorter amount of time span, which would definitely get tough on the older guys. And as we saw in that uh, 98 finals, they were definitely starting to break down. But the other oh, thing yeah. that I was thinking is like, okay, and I wouldn't put anything past Jordan, but that's a tough ask to ask all of your teammates to take one year deals. Yeah. You know, totally. like I, I wouldn't ask guys to do that. Like, sure. It's a seventh ring with, but like at that point, after that 98 season, what did they have to prove? That's what and I, if, and I understand if you're Steve like, Kerr, your stocks high. We know Scotty's yeah. stocks high. You're right. 
and like listen i completely understand uh, d- defending the defending the chip and uh, you to be the man you got to beat the man and that whole thing but i mean it seemed like that this uh, franchise and this dynasty had really run its course, and what a better way to go out! I know that that's not Jordan's mindset; that's not how he gets down. But I mean, maybe a more well-adjusted person would say, <laughs> you know, what 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 a way to get out! I think he's got a line on that, like about leaving on a high note rather than leaving, uh, at, you know, at the tail end of your career, right? Yeah, which was something Reinsdorf said as well that he was super worried about. He didn't want to become the 90 Celtics, right? Which he thought they kept yeah. running out their core and they were just, you know, running on fumes by the end. But a couple funny things here was, one, just the way how the whole thing ended, which is the font of, and the Bulls began to rebuild. <laughs> Yeah, I and thought that re- was incredible. Should have said, and their rebuild uh, consisted of uh, Eddie Curry and Tyson Chandler. <laughs> Oof, it's been a rough go for Bulls fans. But also, uh, Amino Hassan on Twitter reminded everybody, quote, never forget Jerry Reinsdorf said in 2005, White Sox World Series meant more to him than all six of the Bulls titles. Yeah, I remember that. I remember <laughs> so, him saying that. Jerry Reinsdorf, I mean, he got a pretty favorable edit in this because he was able to blame everything on Kraus, yeah, who <laughs> wasn't did, here yeah. to defend himself. Yeah. But if Reinsdorf's the one that's ultimately signing the checks, I'm sure he could have figured out a way to make it work and i don't buy the whole you know okay well he had to pay mj another 30 mil like with that 30 mil that you saved like what did you really do with that right do you know what i mean like your team was trash the next season i think they won like eight games but whatever it's super weird uh a couple questions though because it's it's was really focused in on mj but not really as much focused in on, like we didn't hear, would Scotty have come back to sign a one-year deal? Right. I don't think so. Right? Scotty seemed pretty fed up about and, the way his contract was situated. No? But even more even more than Scotty, think about Phil. Yeah. I mean, Phil was the one who was having to deal with Jerry Krause on a daily basis, at least with players. Like, you can focus more on the game, but that relationship between coach and GM is really mm-hmm. close. And we know that Phil and Krause had enough of each other. They were not, you know, barely on speaking terms. So maybe Scotty would have been easier to convince, but it's Phil, a guy yeah. who we know through this documentary and through stories that definitely marches to the beat of his own drummer, right? And the thing, and, too, Phil kind of, I don't want to say he duped everyone, but Phil's whole thing was always, oh, I'm done, I'm retiring, and then one year later, my guy comes back with the Lakers? Like, come on. Right. Plus, plus all the stories about, remember, Phil had it in his contract that he was able to be looking for a job in that last year. So there's no way that we can all sit here and buy the fact that, you know, on some level, MJ wasn't duped by the fact that Phil said he wasn't going to come back and coach at all. And then magically a year later, a year, a year later. Oh, wow. That's my brain playing tricks on me there. (laughs) A year later, Phil is back with the Lakers and Kobe and Shaq. Like, come on now, right? Like, it just seems too much like the Zen master was pulling the strings himself. He kind of knew it was time to probably re-up with some younger horses, right? And get to that next challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And it would have made his life, obviously making his life a lot easier. Yeah. 
and he would think until a couple of years later. <laughs> and the whole thing too, and obviously they didn't get into it in the doc, but at the moment in time as well, we touched on Scotty. If you remember, right, after that season, the lockout happens, Mike's not coming back, Phil's gone, Scotty asks for a trade, so they get a sign-and-trade. Scotty goes to the Houston, Houston Rockets yeah. to join Charles Barkley and Akeem. But the thing is, Charles Barkley takes a huge pay cut so that they can sign Scotty to the big deal and fit it under the cap. And then they end up beefing because... You know, well, if you look at the numbers, Scotty only averaged, I think, like 11 points or 12 yeah. points a game, which is like, okay, tough sure. To, tough to make that, make sure everybody gets a touch For uh, sure. or an equal amount of touches on that team. But we forget now, right? Like, they had a beef that year, Scotty and Chuck, because Chuck was always mad and held it over Scotty's head that he took a pay cut for Scotty to come to the team, but he didn't think Scotty was putting in enough work. Scotty was getting mad at Chuck and using Mike as, a, as an excuse saying how he should have listened to Mike because Mike always said Chuck would never win because he never dedicated himself to be a champion. <laughs> right? So there's a lot of going back and forth between those two guys and the way that that played out didn't really work out for either of them. But it's just such a weird situation and maybe one of the best like what ifs. You know, what if MJ did come back for that strike shortened season? It's super cool to think yeah. about. But, I mean, just a great, like, what if to kind of leave us on at the end of that doc as well, no? Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, that's the big question, right? And that's what, although I, I do wish that there was an 11th part about his time in Washington. <laughs> and what and what drove that decision to come back then and to that team? I know he had a stake in ownership, but I'd like to hear a little bit more about that story. So Simmons did this whole thing. I think it might have been part of his book or maybe part of an article. And, and he read it on his podcast a couple weeks ago. And it was basically about how, and it was interesting because he says like he didn't know how 10 episode 10 was going to end because obviously nobody had it wasn't nobody, done yet. nobody had seen it yeah but his whole thing at the time and he wrote this years ago was about his theory was always that mj didn't want to retire but he also just didn't have anywhere to go yes. so i think the whole washington thing was probably well he probably never wanted to retire in the first place so he was off for what two years three years and then came back he probably just would have kept playing but he just had no team to go to because the Bulls weren't going to pay him. He wasn't right. really going to jump on, like, was he going to go to the Lakers? No. Yeah, the the right? Knicks. I've the heard. Knicks. Now, would, would Krause have helped out the Knicks get Michael Jordan? <laughs> Do right. you know what I mean? Like, there's so many different underlying things because, yes, even though MJ was signing these one-year deals, he was able to sign for more. You're able to sign for more with the team that you're currently on, right? That's why teams do the sign and trades. So mm -hmm. unless he was going to come back for, like, way less money, where was he going to go? And that kind of was the theory as well. But, yeah, definitely would like to get into the head of Mike and figure out why he ended up coming back with, you know, the Wizards. And obviously, you know, it's a money play. Yeah. Right? Because sure. you own the team. You're getting a cut of all the jerseys, all those dope uh, colorways of the Jays that we'd be getting as well. Yeah. <laughs> right? So that was pretty cool. Um, another super cool and interesting you know, subplot that I really think was a good history lesson for a lot of people was a Steve Kerr section oh, yeah. of this. Yeah. Um, uh, 
did you think a lot of people really knew that whole story about Steve Kerr and his father and what happened to him and just like how good was that just in terms of a history lesson for some of the younger fans or even some of the older NBA fans that just might not have known about that at all? Exactly. Well, I think that, I mean, I think I heard about that, not even during a broadcast, but probably a Simmons podcast or a, or a um, Zach Lowe podcast. But that is an, uh, an incredible story, uh, yeah. like a tragic story. But I did know that his parents were educators uh, mm-hmm. and his dad was a professor that had died tragically. But yeah. that whole story is, it, it's nuts. It's crazy. And it definitely, like, I mean, I know that we, you and I both have talked our fair amount of trash on Steve Kerr oh, and the Golden sure, State yeah. Warriors in this, <laughs> uh, in this podcast. But it definitely, having that happen in your life and be able to stay as well-rounded and grounded as Steve Kerr has, like, is a testament to his uh, will and his mental health and you know, just what a solid guy he is. So hearing him talk about what happened to his dad and, you know, getting assassinated, mm-hmm. it was really interesting to to see uh, how that played into his playing career, coaching career, and who he is as a person. Yeah, and you know what, Webby? It's funny because the parallels of the Steve Kerr thing was kind of like what – this whole doc was about with Michael Jordan. It made him, it humanized him. It made him like a real person. And so you mentioned, you know, us, we joke around a lot about Steve Kerr not being a good coach, or I say Steve Kerr is an (laughs) overrated coach with the Warriors. And we joke around about that all the time, right? But in this doc, it was very interesting to have him humanized and, you know, see Steve Kerr the man and give you a bit more of the understanding as to why he was one of the uh, few coaches in the NBA, him and Popovich, that would always come out and speak out against Trump or speak out against gun violence or speak out on a lot of these issues. It was interesting to see the context now and get a better understanding as to why, as you mentioned, he is the way that he is. And I thought that was really cool and interesting. And that's what documentaries do and i think in this age where every time something comes out and everyone says oh this is really good you get the extremes of this is the best thing ever and then you get the other extreme of well it's really (laughs) not that good and this isn't journalism and this isn't and it's like shut up it's entertainment right like you're you're watching it to be entertained and to be learned and to learn things do i need it to be a 60 minutes you know, or like a CNN Anderson Cooper special, right? No, I don't. But I think they did a really good job of touching on the story and also intertwining the story to show, okay, well, here's these two guys, Michael Jordan and Steve Kerr, you might not think have anything in common, but then when you break it down and learn about their competitiveness on the court, their willingness to not back down, their thought process in terms of clutch shots, then break it down even further to them as men and having to deal with the loss of their fathers in tragic situations. Like mm-hmm. It was just such good storytelling on the whole that I thought they did a really good job of doing without like shoving any of it down your throat. Do you know what I mean? Without like... It, it just told the story, made it intertwined to the rest of it, and then moved on, if that made sense. And even the yeah. transition of him telling the story that he would always think of his dad during the National Anthem. And, like, I got chills when it cut to that shot from, uh, would it have been game 
the first year against the Jazz when he hits a game-winning shot, right, to win the right. championship. Like, I got chills when that when they did that cut. And I just thought it just, like, that's storytelling to me. That, like, there's so many moments where I got the feels, you know? I think you felt the same way, right? For sure. And that's good directing and, like, really great work by everybody behind the scenes on that documentary. The, the one thing that I really did like about how they presented not just the Steve Kerr story, but most of the stories in this documentary is that it's not heavy-handed. You know, it's not beating you over the head with it. It's uh, presenting that, uh, presenting the story, getting the uh, sound bites from those who are affected and kind of letting you draw your own conclusions, right? Not necessarily Mm -hmm. dragging you along the way. And so that's, that's again, great, great storytelling as well as like letting the audience do a little bit of work too. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It was just such a good job. And, you know, you gain a different appreciation for Steve Kerr, obviously, as a man, but also as a basketball player, because you might forget, but Steve Kerr, we know that obviously the main one that he hit in 97 to win the chip, but he hit some big buckets for those Bulls teams and probably doesn't get nearly enough credit for the role that he played on that team. Um, I also said, too, last night on Twitter, even. No, go on, even sorry. for being Steve Kerr doesn't get enough credit for being ahead of his time. I know this has been something that like now he is that everybody is watching how the game is played in today's NBA and what the Bulls were doing back then. But having that guy who's a spot up shooter who you can rely on, who doesn't need the ball all the time is like that in today's NBA is so valuable. You need like three of those guys. But it adds so much more context to everything he did with the Warriors and the strength in numbers because he was a role player. So if you go back to those teams, the early Warriors teams, the pre-KD teams, right, their success was based off the fact that they went 10 deep on the regular, right, and their bench players were just as important as their starters and as crazy as it sounds like go back like we forget now because the warriors run was so crazy and there's so many different highs and low well no i was going to say highs and lows but so many different storylines right but those early teams you really get the context now of you know that moment where they had paxton explain how he mentored kerr early on and kind of told them hey this is what you need to know to be able to succeed playing alongside Mike. Like mm-hmm. you have to earn his trust that you're not afraid of the moment. You're going to knock down shots. And, and once he gets that confidence in you, you're going to be fine, but you got to accept your role. And I, I just thought it was such a like great teaching moment for people who play sports, but also anyone who has to work within a team, whether it's a yeah. workplace or anything, right? Like accepting roles and staying in your lane and knowing your, your, your place, right? Like it was just really good storytelling. And like everything else in this 10 part doc, I gobbled all that up. That whole Steve Kerr part gave me all the feels. It was so good. Oh, it was really good. And how about that, that, that clip on the bench where, where, and Steve Kerr telling the story that like Jordan mumbles over to him, like, Hey Steve, just make sure you're uh, ready to go. And then it shows the actual clip, and Steve's like, "Yeah, man, pass it to me anytime. I'm ready to go." <laughs> it's so, so excited. He's so excited. He's so fired up. But like, it just shows as well how like composed MJ is to mm-hmm. think and know that obviously there's a camera on me, right? And even though like there's no way that it would get relayed to the Jazz in the 20 second timeout or whatever. 
but just to have that presence of mind as Michael Jordan to know that there's always a camera on me and I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen, right? Because I'm Michael Jordan and I know that, hey, this is what <laughs> happened in a couple games before in this exact situation. They ran the double team over to me. And so the same thing's going to happen. You're going to be wide open, be ready to shoot. Like that whole part of it was just, you know, that's the part where there's levels to basketball and there's levels mm -hmm. to watching basketball and understanding what's going on. And that was kind of dope because in this era, we're kind of spoiled because we get that from LeBron here and there. Do you know what I mean? We get that yep. from players nowadays, but to hear that from Mike and like get that kind of explanation or see that, like get that moment. Cause we've seen that moment before, right? We've seen that clip before, but to get yep. it within the context of everything else. So good. Oh, um, amazing. Speaking of, though, stories that we've heard a lot about before, <laughs> but we getting some more context, has always been known as the flu game. But I guess now we know it should be called the stomach flu game the or the food game? poisoning game, the pizza game. <laughs> what are we going with here, Webby? Well, Do you from... buy this story that they were selling us here about the Utah MJ being hungry late at night? For some reason, they're staying at a hotel that has no room service, which seems weird. But anyways, they have to order a pizza for MJ, and five dudes show up. Grover, to, I can't just call the guy Grover. Tim Grover, <laughs> MJ's trader, says in the moment that he thought something was up. Like, it just seemed odd. But MJ ate the pizza anyways, and he got food poisoning. Oh, So the whole food game I just can't, ima I can't imagine with those... What those guys put on that pizza. Oh, it just makes yeah, you my almost, stomach turn. You almost don't want to think about it, right? Right, and like, right, exactly. Have you ever had food poisoning before? Yeah, yeah. And it just, like, dehydrates you. Like, you're just done. Like, all the color, all of the fluidity in your body, it's just gone. So, the last time I remember getting, like, a serious, serious case of food poisoning, I was couldn't curled up in a ball on the... Sorry? I couldn't walk. <laughs> no, that's what I was saying. Like, the last time I got food poisoning, I remember being curled up in a ball. Like, my stomach just hurt so much, and I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. I was just, like, laying on the couch, and I, I was, like, I felt like I don't know what dying feels like, but I felt like I, I don't know what's going on with my body right now, but it's just shutting down, and my I just couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. I could not imagine getting up and going to a game and then playing basketball, much less given the other team 40. the business <laughs> Buck, <laughs> in the NBA Finals. Like, Dropping 40 or whatever he had. Just unbelievable. It's so weird, and it just left so many questions. Like, wh who are the five guys? Why would there be five guys delivering the pizza? Again, as you said, what's on the pizza? How is, like, the name of the pizza place not gotten out? at this point like there's so many different right. stories that i'm just or questions that i have for this situation of something that we've seen we watched and you know you've heard different instances where you know people have thrown out oh was he really hung over people are making the twitter jokes like oh it's a hennessy hangover game you know what i mean and it's just like i feel well, see, like mj thing. like I, I had known it as the hangover game right but I, I feel like if you're mj like you Okay, how can I say this? <laughs> how can I say this correctly? NBA players, right? 
they are used to their lifestyle, right? They're not like you or I where, hey, we might have like a really rough night and then the hangover catches us the next day. So we're struggling to sit at a computer at work, right? Their job entails like being able to go out and play basketball at an extremely high level. And they get programmed into doing that multiple times over throughout the year. Like, I just have a hard time believing that MJ would drink a little too much or whatever, like just have such a crazy night of partying in the middle of the NBA Finals that he couldn't handle the hangover the next day in the game. Like, that just seems like a dude that is so well in tune with his body and is such a crazy competitor, knows every single thing that he's doing and plots everything out that he would get, like he would have that wild ass of a party the night before that he is that damaged in the game. Like that part just doesn't make sense to me. Completely agree, right? And that's the thing. The hangover game, but the the... What was funny to me was how in this episode they didn't even ask him about it, you know, with the gambling and things like that. Mm-hmm. But this one was wasn't really brought up. And you mean you like say, the pizza? He all he said was he ate the pizza. He's like, I ate no, the whole pizza. No one else ate it. No, but I'm saying like the rumors about this being a ha- bad hangover. Oh, I got you. I got you. I got you. Right, like that wasn't really brought up. It, it, you know, the gambling and and even the stuff with his dad was brought up. Yeah. So I thought it was a little weird that this one wasn't. But I, I I'm tending to agree with you. Like I don't think I think that might have been a little blown out of proportion. And you yeah. could never think of a guy like MJ uh, letting even a hangover affect him as affected as he was during that game like that last famous shot of like scotty basically holding him up and (laughs) bringing him off the court like that's a little more than a hangover right and if you're the utah jazz like i don't i just don't understand there's so many things about the utah jazz i don't understand like you let mj give you the business when he's sick scotty's out here just basically running suicides because he can't do anything on a bad back the following year and like you guys just don't go at him on defense. Like, I just don't get it. Brian Russell, no. the Brian Russell story, <laughs> was awesome. that whole part of this I thought was incredible. Brian Russell talking trash to MJ, and then MJ, what was the quote? He's like, from that point on, he's been on my he, list. He was on my list. <laughs> yeah, no. Also he, should be on the T-shirt, by the way. <laughs> for this Jordan line, for sure. Um, the other one was, um, yeah, uh, just the coaching decisions. Yeah. yeah. And I know we're going to get into a little more, but, I mean, yeah, not exploiting Scottie Pippen, not being ready for that final shot in uh, in 98. It's yeah. like, it, it's very weird. Like, was Jerry Sloan that great of a coach, or did he just have Stockton and Malone and just basically rode them? And then when that was kind of shut down, now what do you do? Well, the other part of the Brian Russell thing, just to get into MJ's mind, like as he was breaking down Brian Russell and saying like, oh, I knew how to get him already. He always played up on his toes and he could tell, I could tell I could get him leaning one way. So head and shoulder fake, I could get by him. And I was like, this guy is really out here looking at Brian Russell's toe, like not magic, not bird, (laughs) not one of the other like best players in the league. He's giving you defensive scouting reports on Brian Russell. I was just like, this dude is a sick, sick man. Like that was just the level of, you understand why this man's a goat. That's insane. Well, yeah, of course he studied Brian Russell. He was on his list. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Um, So Pippen wasn't on Jordan's list. But 
this doc I came away from thinking I don't really know what their relationship is like because I feel like Scotty got like a really interesting edit in this like do you think Scotty got a good edit in this doc I do I think that other than Michael Jordan he had the most complete story in this documentary I mean throughout the first six eight episodes of this mm-hmm. uh, documentary. I mean, we watch Scotty basically give up, whether it's a <laughs> migraine game or yeah. he doesn't want to go in. Like, Michael is telling Phil, like, none of the guys are ever going to forgive Scotty about this. And then in the on the biggest stage, in the now in the NBA Finals, uh, you know, game six, he's in obvious pain. He's... You just see it on his face going up and down the court. But you know what? He keeps coming back. And he, he, he gets the treatment. He gets the rub down just to give him five, ten more minutes. And he's even though he's a decoy out there, he's putting himself on the court. He's telling Philly he can go in. And he's being the really the ultimate team player. He knows that he doesn't have uh, what it takes to necessarily go out there and score 30. But he knows that his team needs him out there. Yeah. And so I think that that kind of redemption story almost in that last episode for Scotty, like, completed his journey of the documentary it's interesting right like i felt watching it there was so much about scotty in it and you're right he did get the most complete thing but it just seemed like every time it was the biggest stage scotty never wanted to scotty there's something wrong with scotty (laughs) right like it made me wonder like i felt like too many times while i was taking notes for this i was just like did scotty really want the smoke and I don't know, right? You're talking Ugh. about the migraine game against yeah. in Game Seven against the Pistons. You're talking about Scotty not wanting to go in and like quitting on the team, yeah, taking against himself the out, Knicks, right? Yeah, which is horrible. And then you know, here where okay, he has a back injury. You can clearly see he has a back injury. Like I'm not denying and saying that he wasn't hurt or oh, anything like that. In, I'm, no, he's in pain. He's in, in pain. agony even. I'm just saying, like, it's just not a good look, right? It's not a good look. But Scotty, you know, I ended up watching or reading a lot about what happened to Pippen afterwards. And it yeah. just made me wonder, like, man, his career, it's a really weird career once you isolate it from Michael Jordan. Right, oh, which yeah. I know the two are forever linked, but it's just, I don't know. There's a lot of moments where it's like, what is Scottie Pippen's career if there is no Michael Jordan? Because I feel like Michael could have made some hmm. other sidekick a Pippen. Like, I'm not saying Pippen wasn't good. Pippen was really good, but I feel like Mike gassed him up. And so under that theory, Mike could have gassed up someone else of equal or maybe a little lesser talent than Scotty. But could have could have found another know. sidekick. Scotty without Mike is Scotty Scotty that we know? No. I think on that end you're right. But I think on the other end, I think that that's a symbiotic relationship. I think okay. that Jordan needed a guy who had Scotty's physical gifts mm-hmm. but was also open enough and comfortable enough with who he was that he could take that uh, backseat or take that role as a Robin. Because not everybody out there who's going to have those same physical gifts that MJ would need is yeah. going to be able to
to mentally take that and say, you know what? Yeah, no, I'm cool with, with riding shotgun on this behind Michael Jordan. I know a lot of people might say they are, yeah. but if like that's a whole different kind of not wanting the smoke, right? Yeah, and you can even tell even Scotty for his, you know, at his best, he still even struggled with that at times right like being under michael how come i'm not getting paid enough i should be getting paid more then even that was something when he went to houston as well you know i should be getting more shots i should be doing this i should be doing that like it it was very much a lot of you know scotty needing to prove hey i'm on this guy's level too like i'm right there and you know kind of to counter my own point here but you made me think about it scotty's defensively you know, that was also a massive part of his career that him and MJ being the tandem, right? But Scotty's the one that they threw at Magic to shut him down. Exactly. Right? Like Scotty could guard basically one through five, which mm. is insane to think about then. But him and Mike mm. on that duo, even as they clinch that championship where Scotty's like diving on the ground and makes a pass yeah. to Kukoch, like he's an insane defender. So it was, it was interesting. But you're right. Maybe Scotty did get the most complete. And I'm not sure if a Sean Kemp, if that trade had gone down, would have been the same kind of teammate. Or if, I don't know, like I know we're going to talk about him soon, but if Reggie Miller was on the team or uh, just any other kind of like great player from the 90s, if you switch Scotty out and somebody else in, if it's going to be the same. You know, like if they're going to be able to play in that system with Jordan, also be able to take the abuse and being a teammate of Jordan, and then just like kind of knowing where to go and 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 when to be there. Yeah, and maybe the best the best uh, example of that, Webby, is how Game Six of the '98 Finals ended, where I thought it was really good how they played both Dennis and Scotty, saying like as soon as Mike got the ball. Yeah. Like they asked, like Scotty, what were you gonna do? He's like, get the fuck out of the way. Get the fuck out of the way. Yeah, <laughs> right. well, I thought that no, was incredible. The the even cooler thing about that whole is the whole sequence. Well, is, yeah, is the first time down the court. What is it the is it the layup and then the steal and then the yeah. shot? Oh yeah, and I, I mean think, that's incredible. I think that's kind of the resume to me. If you're talking about goat levels right and i know this isn't the same play because lebron's chase down block is one of the best defensive plays if not the best defensive play in the history of basketball but i'm saying it was just that hold on it was just on the other day or like maybe a couple of days ago yeah and lebron's head (laughs) is like fully above the rim oh it's an insane play his shoulders are at the rim it's it's crazy it's one of those plays where I don't care which team you are cheering for. I don't care how much you hate on LeBron because we know there's a lot of LeBron haters out there. That's one of the things where it's just like oh everybody had the same reaction to that play because it was so incredible, yeah. right? Um, but the, the point I was making, though, was, again, not that MJ Steele off of Carl Malone was at that level of MJ or of LeBron's block on Iggy, but... To have a sequence of, it would have been like if LeBron then, after that block, hit the three that Kyrie hit. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, and just exactly. think, think about how insane that would be. Like, we would have been losing our minds. But for MJ, as you said, to they're down with 40 seconds left for my guy to get a layup, 
then get the steal, come back down the floor, shouts to Phil for not calling the timeout, Huge. and everyone just knows, yo, it's Mike's time. It's MJ's time. And I feel like I was probably harder on Carl Malone than, you know, than Carl probably deserved. Because I was always just like, how do you let MJ just steal the ball off you like that? But it really wasn't no. his fault. Right? Like, the building's so loud, so he probably can't hear if anyone's yelling at him. But also, MJ just cheated the play. Right? Yeah, and, like, didn't not, really give him time to think about it. Not going with this guy. Not going with this guy. It was just such knew. a genius he play. He knew that obviously they were going to get the ball to Malone down in the post, and mm-hmm. he wasn't going to pass out of that if he had the shot. I mean, he'd been playing really well in that series, you yeah. know, just like from exactly where he had the ball. So, like, yeah, I mean, it was just a genius play from Jordan, man. So the the other age-old question is always about the push-off. <laughs> Did Michael Jordan push off of... Brian Russell on that last play. Well, you see it on that play, and Jordan's right. He's already starting to go. Yeah. yeah but I, I did love I did love the line of, it's like a Mater D showing you to your table. <laughs> That's exactly it. Bob Costas is a G. Like, there's Yo, these guys, right? There's these guys that you, you know, we've seen around. They've been around our entire lives, and you always wonder, like, how does, like, you know, it's always Bob Cossett. It's always Al Michaels. Like, these guys have jobs forever. And it's like, that's why. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, I was like, I, you really couldn't put it any better than that. Like, yeah, his hand's on him, and he does move him, but he's not forcing him, you know? Yeah. There's no, it's just a guide. It's, a, you know, just guiding him over. Yeah, and, it, and again, just uh, how they set it all up. Because we've seen that play 10 million times. We've seen all the pictures of the shot 10 million times. The debate's been had about the push-off. But now with the context of MJ saying, oh, I knew I could always get him because he'd always be leaning one way or the other. Yeah. I'd just look at his toes, shoulder fake him. Like When you add all that context into the fact that, okay, he knew when he was leaning he would always be he'd always uh over over sell on yeah. one way or the other and then you see the crossover play that MJ makes like it all just ties in and makes so much sense right it's it again great storytelling i love the shot too of how they cut to all the different fan reactions that was oh. incredible from that picture, yes. from the the still, and then yeah, they go to all the fans, and what, there's two parts that I loved about that is that all of those jazz fans with their hands over their faces, like they know what's about to happen because they do. <laughs> yes, and the the one Bulls kid with his arms already up in the air, that was the best. That was well. Great. That reminded me of another part, which later on we won't really touch on it, but it was a part where they're playing against the Pacers. Yeah, and remember Reggie after the push off by Reggie, yeah. and he hits it, but and like everyone's going crazy except Larry Bird. Oh well, that's like <laughs> you know what that reminded me of was Jay Wright. Oh, and the, okay, yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the yeah, big yeah, yeah. shot. Oh, who hit it? And it yeah, wasn't yeah, Brunson. Yeah, yeah. It was against North Carolina, yeah. and that's up until seeing that Larry Bird non selly That Jay Wright was the, <laughs> the best non selly of them all. I mean, he even walks off the court. He doesn't even stay. Just so shot good. went in. He's gone. Now, so good. But the, the thing, thing about that, that, I was going to say though, the one thing yeah. about the '98 Finals. So Game Six will forever be the most watched basketball game of all time. 
Yeah, 72 million people, <laughs> or 26% of the U.S. population at the time, watched mm -hmm. at least some part of the game. 72 yeah. million people? That doesn't even seem like real life. Right? Like, that's insane. Absolutely those, insane. Those are real numbers right there. Those are <laughs> crazy, crazy numbers. Now, the thing is, is like, I, and I'm like, by 98 and 97, I still, like, I mean, Jordan was unbelievable, but I was actively rooting for the Bulls to lose. Oh, really? Yeah. I was wow. sick of them. I was sick of them winning. Wow. Now, wow. obviously, listen, I mean, watching MJ, again, like, evolve from a complete physical specimen who was literally walking on air mm -hmm. to him being the crafty vet. And like he says in the documentary, like, really finding out how to meld that mind and body together in, like, a, a new way of playing the game for him. I respected it so much. And the shots that he made and the way that he played the game was absolutely – but, man – I rooted so hard. Maybe not necessarily for the Jazz, but for that Pacers team. Okay. I, I really wanted them to win. I really wanted them to beat Jordan and get in there. I was going to say, I was like, were you really out here rooting for Carl Malone in the Jazz? Like, no, I, I didn't not, know not, this about you, Webby. No, <laughs> not not that team. Definitely more more of that Pacers team okay. with the Davis brothers and Jalen and, and Reggie enough. and Rick Smith. I really thought, especially, was it 97? I thought they were going to get it done in uh, in that 97 playoffs. And it, I remember being really bummed. Yeah. That it was like, oh, it's Jordan again. Here we go again. Yeah. But then by the time of game six and 98, it's just like, I mean, that's a master class. It's so Jordan. good. And I, and I think that last play perfectly summed up by Phil, who's just, you know, Phil just, I mean, every single time you expect something from him or you need him, that's where Mike is. And Rodman's quote of, He's gonna he's gonna shoot this fucker. He's not gonna pass a fucking ball. No John Paxton. No Steve Kerr. This <laughs> is his fucking turn. turn. <laughs> yeah, it's his turn. So good. But the celebration, the behind the scenes of the celebration, I was here for all of that. That was super cool. To see the all piano? the fans at the hotel. To see yeah. like MJ, like, is this a smoking floor? <laughs> Who cares? It is now. It is now. <laughs> yeah. How about uh, just like holding court at the piano that yeah. he who doesn't are, know how who to are play? All those people? Oh, just like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, men. That's who they are. <laughs> so good. MJ playing the piano, but he can't play the piano. Like, what? It was just so random. But I love to. The thing about the doc that was so cool is because it was real. Right, like it, you're seeing real time reactions where now in this era, we're never going to see anything like that again. Right, because everything is so calculated, everything is so, you know, contrived and, you know, put through business meetings and, you know, what I, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Whereas to hear MJ actually sit there and say, when Scotty was hurt, he almost shit his pants. Like he was terrified. Yeah. Right, like, yeah. The emotion and all that is just so crazy to see and hear. It was just see all that footage. I've never seen any of that footage before. I thought that was really cool. That was incredible, man. The the MJ celebration after the sixth final. But maybe one of the biggest tidbits that I feel like I remember, but not really, was your man's Dennis Rodman 
in the middle of the NBA Finals. Yeah. Missing practice. Not telling anyone so that he could be on Monday Night Nitro with the (laughs) with the NWO. What? Listen, it's a big deal. That was a big deal because I mean that you have to understand, Shelly, too. Like I mean, that is ninety uh, ninety eight, yep. right in the middle of the Monday Night Wars. Massive, so huge, right? Like, and you got to figure that like Stone Cold is going on one, and so like, what is WCW going to do now to try and come back? Is bring in Rodman, and they also brought in Carl Malone. Like <laughs> Rodman and Malone had like a match of some sorts on WCW. <laughs> it's just nuts, but. Just like um, Phil kind of told us in the Rodman episode, it's like, and Rodman even says it, sometimes you got to let him do his thing. Yeah. It's so crazy to think about now because obviously the, the, the sports media culture, but imagine Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless like now in this era, oh <laughs> if God. that happened, like J.R. Smith leaves so that he can go on like... <laughs> He can go on, like, I don't even know what the equivalent would be now. Because wrestling's not at the same point now, right? But, like, if you think about it, someone tweeted this last night that Rodman was basically a part of the two biggest teams ever, the NWO and the 90s Bulls, (laughs) right? Like, if you were too young to remember the impact of the NWO, like, that was one of the craziest pop culture moments ever, right? Like, it's absolutely incredible. To a think Hulk that Hogan, a Hulk Hogan turning heel, oh. uh, was was huge. Was huge. was was huge. If you're of a certain age, that is a massive point in your life. Like if you were a sports fan, a wrestling fan, which I think we're probably one in the same. But yeah, the Monday Night Wars then. were incredible. Like that was at the peak of culture. You were like rushing home to see it. You're flicking back and forth trying to figure out what's going on. And Darren Ravel tweeted out that. Dennis Rodman skipped a media session before the day before Game 4 of the 98 Finals and was fined $20,000. He instead was paid $250,000 plus <laughs> use of a private jet to appear at a WCW show. When he returned, his teammate Ron Harper said, quote, I think that makes him a good businessman. <laughs> Close quote. I mean, amazing. And also, I think they were on the flight. It was said that it was Dennis, Carmen Electra, and like ten Playboy bunnies. Oh my god! Where do I get a ticket on? I was just so happy that Carmen was back on the documentary. Yo, Carmen Electra, man! <laughs> like every time she popped up, I was just like, oh yeah, she she was like the real MVP of the nineties. The hundred percent. Right, like you forget Carmen, like Dennis Rodman, <laughs> man. I know it was funny because Simmons and Rosillo had this whole thing about was Rodman really that interesting or whatever it was that they were trying to say. But yes, jeez, Dennis Rodman, like that doesn't even make sense. Like it doesn't even compute now that someone would think that it's okay, and it was only I guess quote unquote okay because Mike allowed it. Or Phil allowed it, and and again at the end of the day, my guy came out the next game and had twenty rebounds. Yeah, so, right. well, it, it's it's funny too. Like uh, Rodman really seemed to know his body and his limits and and what he needed and what would drive him. 
and, and what he could give the team. Like, it's really funny for somebody that we kind of now think of as a joke or as Rosillo and, and Simmons said, you know, the least interesting part of this Bulls team. But, man, I... I was like enthralled by how well he knew himself for a guy that definitely like did everything he could to be an individual and almost like to the detriment of his basketball career. He was really like self-actualized. It was pretty incredible. And we talked about it on like the, I guess it would have been what episode three or four. I don't even remember which one it was now, but just the fact of Rodman accepting his role and understanding his role. Right. And we talked about it with Steve Kerr, it's the same thing. Understanding that, okay, this is what I'm needed to do for this team to be successful. And Rodman just went out there, like 20 rebounds in a game is not, like that's not an easy thing to do. And you're going up against Carl Malone, right? Like that's not, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like that is an insane level yeah. of play. And for him to be able to do that, but the other team, his other teammates, pardon me, to know what he's capable of doing and to have an understanding that, okay, well, we got to let Dennis be Dennis at some point, but we know that when it's time to lace him up, he's going to be there getting in Carl Malone's head, even though Carl Malone got busy too, right? Because Carl Malone put in work, but mm -hmm. Dennis, he, he was a menace, pardon the pun, <laughs> right? Whether it was w WCW Nitro or the NBA Finals, <laughs> NBA Finals, Dennis was a factor. I was just so like totally just amused by the whole thing. And you're right, Carmen Electra. The picture of Carmen Electra kissing the trophy. He's yeah, like, kiss the trophy, yeah. kiss the trophy. I was like, yo, what else did they do with that trophy? Like, it's just oh amazing. my god. There's yeah, some bodily fluids on the Larry Ob. Jeez, oh, yo. Um, the other thing, though, that the that 98 finals made me think about was it gave me an appreciation of watching Kawhi last year. And, again, much like I know Perk got all this slander when he said Kawhi was MJ-like, which wasn't really what he said, but that was like the headline that ran everywhere. The way that Kawhi Leonard was able to pace himself through a game, like watching MJ do that. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, yeah, go, no exactly what you're saying. Not expending that energy. I mean, that's really what, especially Jordan later in his career, like what he need, he would only, he was only going to do what he absolutely needed to do on the court because he knew his limitations. Yeah. And just knowing when to go, knowing when, okay, I need a 10 point burst here because the lead's getting too far away or it's closing time now. I got to take over or we need a defensive play right now. I need to make a play. Like, it was just incredible, and it, it gave me, like, just crazy memories of watching Kawhi again and being like, oh, man, we had one of those guys. And I don't mean Kawhi's MJ. Again, I'm clarifying for all the people in the comments, I'm not saying Kawhi's MJ. I'm just saying one of those guys that has the ability to say, I'm going to make a play on either end of the floor and win your team the game. Uh, someone who couldn't really get to that level was your man's Reggie Miller. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, still had the confidence though. That's what you gotta like. He still had the confidence. Were you a Reggie guy as a kid? I hated Reggie so much as a kid. I was I so annoyed by Reggie. I don't even know why. I just, I guess, because I was just so pro MJ. But Reggie was so annoying to me as a kid. 
Were you a Reggie no, guy? No, no, no. I, I didn't mind Reggie. I liked Reggie because Reggie was really one of the, and I, I guess that the stats don't really back this up, mm-hmm. but back in the day, he was, like, I thought of him as the, like, three-point assassin. Yeah. And so I really thought that he was, he had a superpower, right, when I was a little kid. And his superpower was being able to hit these three-point shots at, rather than the twos. And so when I was out on the driveway, or, you know, putting up shots, uh, and I was trying to hit threes, it was just like, ah, Reggie Miller from downtown, Reggie yeah. Miller in the corner. You know, so I liked him. And I always thought he had a good personality because he was, I thought of him as, like, one of the bigger shit-talkers out there, and I liked that. Yeah. Um and then by the time 97, as he gets a little bit older and the Bulls get a little bit older, now I'm, I'm rooting. I like that Pacers team, and I want them to beat the Bulls to see that dynasty get knocked off, right? Yeah, so I, 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 I was rooting for Reggie. That's funny. Like, I always hated Reggie. I would always root for the Knicks against Reggie. Obviously, I rooted for Mike against Reggie. The only time I found myself rooting for Reggie was when it was the Pacers-Lakers NBA Finals. I was rooting for the Pacers. Obviously, didn't think that they had a chance to win, but I wanted them to win. Do you know what I mean? I was rooting for them to win. But, yeah, Reggie, I don't know. And then it's just, and maybe, you know, I don't know if I separate the two and I dislike them equally, but Reggie, the broadcaster, is super annoying to me as well. So, (laughs) I don't know if that's, if some of that is residual from me as a kid not liking Reggie, or if he's just really actually is that bad of a commentator as well. <laughs> no, that's the thing. It's like, uh, honestly, his personality in this documentary is a hundred times better than what we get in these freaking broadcasts. Well, like that... if, he's, if he was just normal in these broadcasts, he'd be great. But instead, we get the Reggie Miller that you and I have been listening to for I don't know how many years. Yeah, and even the Reggie in the the Reggie Miller versus the Knicks or whatever that doc was called, yeah. one of the early thirty for thirties. That one like, was he was great in that too. Yeah, he was really good in that. Uh, the one thing in this I wasn't buying was how Reggie was trying to sell us that because of a jump ball that they lost with six <laughs> and a half minutes to go in Game Seven. That's what Reggie blames the loss on: the fact that they lost a jump ball with six and a half minutes left to go. Like, get out of here, man. What are you, what are you talking about? Six was, and a half a, minutes to go. It's a long-ass time. It was at that point that I knew that we were... It was It was at that point, after that lost... The, the, the lost jump ball that I knew that we weren't going to make it. I was like, what are you talking about? But uh, who... Was it Zach Lowe, I think, on his pod had the story or had someone on his pod telling the story about before game seven against the Pacers Phil was giving this like dramatic like Zen master speech about game sevens and you know having the understanding and the mentality that you might lose and it's okay but moving past that to the fact that you're preparing yourself for the victory and as he's like getting into it all Zen master like MJ just says Fuck that shit. We're not losing. What time is it? <laughs> Everyone puts their hands in. What time is it? Game time. Woo. Let's go. It's <laughs> just not like, that's amazing. MJ just like, nah, not now, Phil. We're not losing. I thought that was incredible. Um, but the MJ with the security guards, yeah. that almost got me. I was well, sitting there Gus. just like, um, Gus, yeah, Gus, that yeah. got me. 
when he was so happy that MJ gave him the ball, and MJ's yeah, like, like, oh, you're a good luck charm. Oh. And he's like, he's like, uh, you know, so I got the game ball, which is, uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that. That was pretty sweet. It was so good. But again, humanizing Mike and having Gus's uh, widow tell the stories about how much Gus meant to Mike and how he became a father figure to him once and his was dad day passed. One. Yeah. yeah, like it was just such good storytelling, but also then matching that with the behind the scenes footage of Gus when he came back from his chemotherapy and it was right in time for game seven and Mike was like happy that he was there and he wanted to go win it for Gus and they're just sitting those scenes of Mike like I want to see the footage that didn't make it of them of just, just sitting in that back yeah. room, right? Yeah. Like the shit that they couldn't air. Do you know what I mean? That's the stuff I want. I want that cut. <laughs> On, like, HBO After Dark or some shit like that. You know what I mean? That's where you know the real shit was. <laughs> just just the uncut uh, viz of MJ with all the security guys. Well, right? the, security guards, know... the security guards and Ahmad Rashad. <laughs> well, Ahmad Rashad. <laughs> like, here's the thing, okay? And Ahmad Rashad is the GOAT reporter, sideline reporter, right? So I'm not knocking Ahmad Rashad at all. It just made me think, like... Okay, I've worked on a lot of like sports television broadcasts in my life. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I just kept thinking of, you know, how did this actually work with Ahmad being a part of the broadcast? Like, I can't imagine like Kyle Bukaskis just like chilling in the locker room, like <laughs> right? literally just sitting and chilling. With Crosby or something, yeah. you know? <laughs> and like, you know, you're thinking about all the things that go on before a game, before a broadcast goes to air. You're doing like mic checks, you're doing rehearsals, oh, yeah. you're doing like pregame interviews, you're doing all these things. And we got mad footage of a mod just like sitting there chilling with Mike. Although <laughs> I did like Mike saying, listen, it's game seven. Don't you dare go near Scott Burrell. Don't talk to him. That was the best. <laughs> you're going to scare That was amazing. <laughs> that was amazing. Oh, man. MJ's really the man. MJ, now, oh, so good. Sorry. The only, the two things that we haven't brought up in these back, uh, uh, like back room uh, viz that I mm -hmm. thought were really cool. Now, one was um, Carl Malone coming on the bus. Oof. Yeah. Oh, I felt for Carl in that one. But like to have the balls to like do that, go and shake hands, like that's some good, uh, good uh, sportsmanship, right it's there. It's a level of respect for sure. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. The other one was after the win against Indiana with Larry Bird. Oh, yes. In the back. <laughs> and was so good. Now, you... <laughs> Now you wrote here. I I'm, I'm, I've got your notes up on my yeah. computer. Yeah. Was it was it MJ who said "fuck you, bitch," or was it Bird who said "fuck you, See, bitch"? See, I was so confused, right? Because I thought I like, needed a Zapruder film like back into the left here. Because at first I was like, oh, I was like, why would MJ call? And then I was like, wait, did Bird call him a fucking bitch? I was like, <laughs> and the best part is. Both are plausible, but I felt like they kept attributing it. Like when you look at it online, pe more people were attributing it to MJ. Oh, okay. So I thought that, but to be honest, I'm with you. While I was watching it, I had the same reaction. I was kind of like, wait, did Larry say that to Mike? I couldn't really <laughs> tell, but you're right. It was an incredible moment nonetheless. It was so good. Uh, but speaking of quotes, Webby, I kind of want to do something funny here where okay. we... Weird. I didn't tell you about this, 
but uh, when we were doing the reviews, right, we had a, a rating system of fire emojis, right? Okay. Five being the best, right? Yeah. Obviously, I'm going to assume that we're, we would both give this five, like the Jordan Doc as a whole, five flame emojis. Am I correct in four, saying that? Four, four and a half. Four, four and, and a half. half. Right, hold on. Are you doing the source five mics thing here where nothing can get five? I, pretty much. Okay. Absolutely. Fair enough. Fair enough. I respect that. I respect that. Uh, but what we're going to do here, I'm going to read some of the best quotes from the doc, from all episodes, and mm -hmm. you're going to tell me one to five what you're going to give it in terms of flame emojis, okay? All right. I'm ready. So first is Larry Bird on MJ scoring 63 against the Celtics. He said, quote, it's just God disguised as Michael Jordan. Uh, that's a that's a three. A three, okay. That's a three. Okay, I'm gonna give that a solid four. That's legit. Okay, I like okay. it. I like it. Um, Doug Collins on his play call in Game Three of the 1989 Eastern Conference Finals. Doug Collins said, "Quote: Get the ball to Michael. Everybody, get the fuck out of the way." Close quote. <laughs> That's a four and a half. That is absolutely, <laughs> that is a hot, like, that is probably, I don't know if we're going to get better than that. That's what this documentary could have been called. <laughs> um, Horace Grant on the Pistons leaving the floor. Quote, straight up bitches. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I'll give that a four. That was, <laughs> that was really good. That's one that people are going to remember, right? Like is, is when Horace Grant called the bad boy Pistons a bunch of fucking bitches. So good. So good. Uh, Michael Jordan in response to Gary Payton on the 96 finals, quote, the glove. I had no problem with the glove. I had no problem with Gary Payton. Close quote. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, you know, we'll give that a two. Okay. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. It was more the laugh that the laugh gets a five flame emojis when he's when he's watching him talk on the iPad. <laughs> uh, we got some more here. So as you remember the shot, Ron Harper mm -hmm. in the huddle says, quote, I said, Coach, I got MJ. The coach tells me he's gonna put Elo on MJ, and I'm like, Yeah, okay. <laughs> Fuck this bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give that a four. I'll give that a solid four. That's a good one. Uh, okay. Michael Jordan on Isaiah Thomas. Quote, To me, the best point guard of all time is Magic Johnson, and right behind him is Isaiah Thomas. No matter how much I hate him, I respect his game. Close quote. <laughs> I'll give that a three. I'll give that a three. Uh, let's see here. Michael Jordan and Isaiah Thomas in the Pistons not shaking hands. Quote, you can show me anything you want. It's no way you can convince me he wasn't an asshole. <laughs> yeah, that's a four. That's a four. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I think that's it. There's a bunch more that we could obviously get to. There's a bunch more for sure. But I think, like, you know, between that and just how we started this pod... <laughs> With the the rule from Reggie Miller, never talk trash of Black Jesus. And that's <laughs> no. it. That now, was really good. One thing is, now I real what I really thought was cool was the giving your subject of the documentary the mm -hmm. iPad so you can get their reaction in real time mm -hmm. of what was said about them. How many documentaries are going to steal that? Oh, 
it's going to be insane. But the the thing is, it's going to be a slippery slope, right? Because you might have a situation where some people might not want to be in it if they think that's what you're going to do with it. Right. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's a slippery slope. And I don't think you want to be the first person out the gate to do it because everyone's going to be like, oh, you just did that from the MJ doc, even though other people have done that before where like you show people plays mm-hmm. or whatever and they react to it and all that oh i re- seem to remember one quote. sheldon alexander do that quite a bit <laughs> yes it was a thing it was a thing we used to do that with court cuts back in the day with court cuts, that's yes it. um but to have someone you know say something about the person and get their reaction to it live that was pretty dope that was pretty cool mm-hmm. i definitely think that's the biggest winner of this in terms of the iPads and MJ memes. Yeah. <laughs> Underrated winners. Uh, some other questions that some people had. I just want to get your, your uh, opinion on here. Hell yeah. So overall, there's this narrative that a lot of people didn't think, didn't they thought that the story kind of bounced back and forth a little too much and they were having trouble keeping up with the timeline. Were you one of those people? What did you think no. of that uh, that way of telling the story? No, I was one of the people that really liked the way that they framed it mm-hmm. uh, in terms of going back and forth between the 98 season, which was, like I say, kind of the frame of the, of the season, and then going, you know, giving everything that you were seeing some context in terms of historical footage, things like that. Now, as we got, as the linear... Uh, aspect of this documentary kept going like as we kept getting closer to 98 and he started going back and forth uh, maybe it could get a little confusing i thought that maybe seven and eight in terms of going back of like oh no we're in 98 but now we're seeing the 97 eastern conference finals right but i mean that was if I that's like if I really had to pick out a nitpick, but other than that, no, it didn't. The the, the nonlinear way of telling the story didn't really bug me. I really liked it, and I thought it was a really creative way to tell the story, to tell like the multiple different stories simultaneously in terms of you know the entire run of the Bulls dynasty with the Last Dance, and also telling the stories of the main characters within it. I thought it was a really creative way to do it, and it was really well done. And I was surprised with how many people I heard say that they had trouble following along. But to every single person that I heard say that, I told them the same thing. Put your phone down. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because I just think we're in this era where now we're so used to watching everything with our phones in our hands. So we're not real. We're paying attention to stuff, but we're paying attention at varying levels depending on how good the show is. <laughs> right or how good whatever it is that we're watching we have another we have an eye on our phones this was a thing where no put your phone down because if your phone was down you would see the timeline come up and it would tell you that now it's going back to <laughs> whatever date like it's pretty straightforward but if you had your phone in your hand and you missed the part where it went back and then you look back up and you'd be like wait why are we now talking about the 88 series against the pistons <laughs> Do you know what I'm, I think that was the biggest thing, but uh, you know, a hundred percent. But enough of me sounding like the old man. <laughs> get off my lawn. Kids, get off your phones. Um, 
yeah, I thought overall really good doc. I enjoyed it a lot. A lot of talk about whether it was the best sports doc ever. I think obviously that still goes to the uh, okay. OJ doc. Yeah, right. Like, like, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, they, this one wasn't now, of course, that's because you had to get MJ sign off. And I think, again, the big thing that was missing here from this documentary for me was delving into how Michael's personality and his need for competition and his need to win affected his relationship with his family. Because I yeah. think that's a really, really, really interesting part of this whole story that of course we weren't going to get obviously mike's not going to sign off to talk to his ex-wife especially yeah. after you know it wasn't exactly the greatest divorce that they had the thing too like i don't think i needed to hear from his ex-wife but i think hearing from his kids a little more would have been interesting just Absolutely. even if it's like you know what's their perspective from like growing up in it but then also like now as i look back on it and how it and then now how it affects their life like that might have been kind of interesting but at the same time exactly what you're saying right you have a decision to make when you're telling a story like this and it's okay well MJ has sign off on it like his two business partners are executive producers on it how right like you're not coming in here and going to be talking about you know all these rumors of MJ cheating on his wife like that's just not something you're going to talk about and on some level to be honest with you that's why when i first heard this doc was coming out i wasn't really that excited for it i really wasn't because i didn't think that i thought it would be the cookie cutter like right. disney um you know telling retelling of mj's career but i was you know more than satisfied or more than entertained with them talking about his gambling issues him being real about you know his relationship with his father why he went to play baseball, yeah. all those things. And then all the sub stories about the other guys on the team. I was more than happy. I was more than entertained. I thought it was a really good job. And of course, like, I don't know what people wanted to hear from MJ's wife or what they wanted to hear in terms of like more than negative things. But in terms of someone making a piece of content, everybody would make the same decision <laughs> that this director did and kind of omit certain things so that you get michael jordan to buy into this right no yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely um but now i guess the question is webby what do we have now to look forward to <laughs> oh, my sundays were all just about you know okay i gotta eat at this time so that i'm not hungry what at this time and both like my whole sundays were <laughs> plotted around <laughs> This the last dog. dance. Well, I don't know what to need, do now. I, I, there's going to be something, and the internet will pick it up, and it'll okay. become part of the cultural zeitgeist going on. And uh, but I have no idea what it's going to be. Now, my question for you okay. is the question that's been asked, I think, since this Jordan documentary started, uh, like basically was announced, and we've started watching it. Was I mean, who's what's the next athlete that gets this kind of? Uh, documentary coverage who gets the next five six seven eight nine ten part documentary i think they're gonna try to do it with kobe really because i think i'd rather see tyson Ooh, ooh! i think the mike tyson story but you can get you can get six seven hours probably more out of that the thing about the tyson doc i feel like 
maybe what 10 years ago or something like that there was such a huge run of tyson related documentaries and and content and remember he he did the doc with i think like mellow executive produced it or something but then like he ended up going out on tour and doing like a, a broadway type show or a one-man show yeah, a one-man like, show yeah i could definitely see it as a thing um but i don't know yeah i, c- I could see it i could see there's got to be some amazing archival footage of yeah uh, uh, of mike when he was you know a kid and isn't, coming up and- isn't the next thing though like there's a movie and jamie fox is playing mike really I think that's the thing that's that because Jamie Foxx, there was a, a clip of Jamie Foxx like telling the story of like what the opening scene's gonna be. That was out like a couple, maybe like within the last week or two. I want to say. Really. I think Jeez. so. Jamie's gonna have to get his get in the gym, get his weight up. Oh, for sure. I mean, also on the flip side, my brain is kind of mush. And I do yeah. go in and out of actually paying attention to what's going on in the world. So That's not an MJ documentary. <laughs> yes. So take all that with a grain of salt. And I guess the one last final question that has to be asked, or doesn't have to, but this is what I'm going to ask to close it out. Who is the greatest basketball player of all time, Mr. Andrew Webster? It's Michael Jordan. <laughs> it's not. I. It's not even close. I mean, yeah. Like, listen. And I. Yeah, you are just like me. We like LeBron James is incredible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and he's such a gifted athlete, and we love watching him play, and we root for him, especially in today's NBA. Uh, what he's done is absolutely incredible. He's in a space by himself, but the. And I hate when I'm starting to get really sick of oh the the goat this the goat that people are like oh Kobe's the goat oh James Harden's a goat it's like no these people aren't the go- there's one there's one greatest <laughs> of all time and it's Michael Jordan and yeah. th- th- we just saw ten hours of why yeah and you know the biggest thing is the thing that this doc cemented to me. And I think even the greatest LeBron supporter, maybe even LeBron himself, that MJ was just a different beast. Like, it's just different, right? And, like, the society was different. The culture was different. You know, there's things that MJ was saying that LeBron could never get away with saying now to a teammate. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, everything about it is just totally different. And that's why I always hated the argument to begin with. And I also think you waste so much time not appreciating LeBron's greatness by always comparing him to Mike when they're not the same player. And it's not even close to the same player. Like, they just do different things. They excel at different things. I think they see the game in different ways, right? And, like, that's the thing to me that was always made it such a waste in trying to be, like, who's the GOAT, who's this, who's that? And especially because... We always knew, and I feel like there is a huge resurgence of this thought process after Kobe passed away, but we always knew Kobe was the closest we were going to see to Mike because Kobe was actually out here doing an MJ impression, right? Whereas LeBron wasn't. No, like when LeBron came along, it was this guy is Carl Malone and Magic Johnson mixed together. Now, he's definitely like... Ref, like refined who he is and that now I think he's uncomparable 
of basketball players who we've seen in the NBA. I yeah. think he's a singular force. But the thing about MJ was that he wasn't. And especially when he was coming up. I mean, we talk about it all the time. Reggie Miller, Clyde Drexler. That's what He had peers that he could overcome. Yeah. And and therefore he had other players that could emulate him. Mm-hmm. Right? You had Kobe Bryant who was a you know six six shooting guard who got very competitive. Like you're able to do that. With LeBron, yeah. him being just a different physical monster out there on the court, it's like you can't it, it's hard to compare LeBron with anybody just yeah. because of the physical gifts that he has. Until no. we see, like, I mean, unless Zion can, but the, Zion would even have to grow a couple more inches. It's just, it's just so different, right? And again, the mentality of it all. I don't even know if superstar players anymore can just be like MJ, where their only sole focus is basketball 24-7, right? Like, there's no Instagram posts that MJ has to make. There's no, like, do you know, like... It's just such a different ball game altogether that, you know, the mentality of those two dudes is just so different to begin with that even Kobe trying to do his MJ impression seemed weird because the generation and our culture was so different by that time, right? Like, Kobe's out here trying to be a rapper <laughs> at the same time trying to be the tough MJ guy, right? And, right. like, that doesn't make any sense, but yet... The culture at the time was the pretty boy rapping, right? So it's just so it's just such a different ball game trying to compare everyone that as basketball fans we should just sit back and enjoy just what it is, what the greatness is in front of us and getting to relive and rewatch all of this Michael Jordan stuff the past five weeks. It's just been a fun ride, my dude, and I'm glad that I got to recap it and talk about it week in, week out with you, my friend. That really made it that much better because it was just so much more fun, right, to know, like, oh, I can't wait to bring this up. Oh, what were you thinking when this happened? Oh, I was laughing at this. Like, I had so much fun doing this with you, my dude. It was really good times. No, absolutely, and and that's what that's been my favorite part about this whole documentary as well is to have somebody to bounce this kind of stuff off. Because let me tell you, my wife is getting very sick about hearing me talking about Michael Jordan. But <laughs> but that being said, what I love about this documentary, and I, I, we're going to see it continue because it's on Netflix. It's readily available to everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, talking to my mother-in-law the other day, yeah. having a social distance barbecue, she found this on Netflix. She's not a basketball fan. She's hardly a sports fan, but she's watched every episode. Yeah. And just being able to talk to other people from other generations, younger, older, male, female, black, white, it doesn't matter. Like, if you're watching this documentary, just even having the conversation about Michael Jordan and NBA basketball, that's what it's all about. And that's why I think this documentary has been great. I had so much fun. The Twitter experience made this so incredible as well that you were watching it with like a group of people and that live experience was so much fun. It was it was so good. And maybe the 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 thing to encompass this last little bit that we've been talking about here, Gary Parish of of uh, CBS tweeted out last night. He said, "My wife has spent five straight Sundays googling basketball players while we watched the last dance." Wife quote I forgot Scottie Pippen was married to Larissa Pippen. Close quote. Me. 
how could you forget Scotty Pippen was married to Larissa <laughs> Pippen? <laughs> Close quote. <laughs> but Larissa Pippen with the with the Kardashians, the brand is strong. It just shows just how crazy this world is. But my dude Webby, this was fun, man. Chopping it up with you every week. But if the people want to catch up with you, uh, where can they find you, man? Find me same bad place, same bad time. It's the same for Instagram and Twitter. Just hit me up at a Webster eighty four. And of course, you can find me on Twitter at Shell Alexander. Same thing goes for, for Instagram at Sheldon Alexander. And again, really appreciate you guys liking and subscribing and telling your friends about us the on blast podcast we will keep this going me and webby are still gonna get caught up each and every week we're gonna we're gonna we're, figure out some to watch well know? i got a Man. bunch of things that i've been watching as well that you know some things i want to come back and talk to you about like have you seen dave for yeah, example yeah yeah yeah, yeah we so, can talk dave right so there's some there's some shows that have been also i've been watching around the jordan doc obviously so we can like have some breakdowns and do some reviews for sure i think we'll still try to talk every single week and just go through what we're watching and have more recommendations for the people we're going to try to do that and of course if there's something you want us to watch let us know hit us up on our socials hit us up in the comment sections again wherever you get the podcast spotify itunes soundcloud rate us rank us like and subscribe all those things are super important as we keep this podcast movement going and really appreciate you guys for listening because i used to pray for times like this to rhyme like this this is the on blast podcast as always unpolished and unapologetic until next time see ya peace on blast